Chime in, anytime. <laughs> oh no, I'm enjoying this far too much. Haven't you ever seen a rare hairless Wookiee before? Oh. Always remember I am Always remember I am Hello there, and welcome to episode 54 of Distant Echoes, a Star Wars podcast where we travel through the galaxy watching each episode of every Star Wars TV series in whatever order we please. I'm your host, Tommy. And I'm your other host, the forgotten Mortis God, the Gunkle, <laughs> also known as Cass. Also known as Cass. Also known as your gay uncle. Uh, and today we have... We got a finale to talk about. We got babes. a finale, babes. Babes, it's the finale. We're talking to the pen ultimate episode of Ahsoka and the finale of Ahsoka. And there's a lot to get into. But first, real quick, just some house house cleaning, housekeeping. We need to clean our house, but we we're do. doing some housekeeping. So we're coming to the end of our Ahsoka journey. Mm-hmm. Yay! Uh, we led up to it with. Uh, the summer of Soka, and now Ahsoka is just about... Well, no, Ahsoka's over. Um, and now it's the winter, because it's going dormant. <laughs> yeah, so... Coming, She's hibernating on a galaxy far, far away. The next episodes, the next couple of episodes we're going to talk about, we're going to take a break from doing uh, just straight up episode recaps, even though we haven't gone into like clone wars in a while well actually no it's a lot we lie. first started no we've been doing clone wars pretty frequently um we're gonna take a quick break from that we're not taking a break from the podcast we just have some really fun episodes coming up uh specifically so the first one to kick it off we reached out on uh i say we it was mostly Cass. On, we reached out on instagram to get your favorite Darth Maul moments. And we've gotten some folks who have responded with some of their favorite moments. So we thought for spooky season for our Halloween focus episode, we're just going to talk spooky Darth Maul. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do a full episode dedicated to some of our favorite and some of your favorite moments there. If you haven't dropped us a line, reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Distant Echoes SW on both and let us know what your favorite Darth Maul moments are. And then after that, we got some other cool ideas that are not uh, episode focused that we're going to be diving into. Um, I think we're going to do some, some uh, we'll call it some creative uh, episodes where we're going to look at characters, how they would be in other media. Um, so that, that'll be kind of fun. Um, and then also just some some fun stuff, like some, I don't know, maybe we'll build out some playlists and things like that. So. Some character sheets, perhaps. Yeah. So we're not yeah. going we're not going anywhere. We're just going to have uh, just a, a little detour from some recapping some, some television. And then we're going to kick things back off uh, in the new year when we're going to be looking diving back in um and we'll have an update once we get closer there and then personally we're going to galaxy's edge at the end of the this year so we'll probably 
first episode back, we'll probably talk about our experiences there. That'll be a little bit of fun. And I plan to document it all on Instagram stories. I will be making tons of videos as long as I charge my phone and I'm not too intoxicated <laughs> to do so. Uh, and they're not primarily just me crying at everything that I see there. But... I hope to make it a fun journey. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, so, yeah, if you're not following us on social media already, check us out at Distant Echoes SW. Pretty much anywhere you can find us. We will be, at the time this releases, I'm going to make sure that we are over on Blue Sky as well. So if you're not following us there, if you're ditching Twitter like a lot of folks, uh, be sure to check us out there. Yeah. That's it for the preamble. Let's right. dive in. Fucking go. She went with the enemy willingly. Impossible. She was fated to make that choice. There wasn't enough time to prepare her to make the right one. A house for Sabine. It was the only choice. Sabine Wren will have the opportunity of finding Ezra Bridger. And if she does, you and your master will destroy them both. Primary objective is to escape this galaxy. It matters not whether Ren and Bridge are killed or stranded here. Do you know Ezra Bridger? He's my friend. I knew I could count on you, though it sure took you long enough. Another comes, a Jedi. Could it be the recently deceased of Sogatana? Impossible. I want to know her background, history, her world, her master, everything. Yes, Grand Admiral. If a star whale approaches Peridia, destroy it with prejudice. You and Sogatana are to return to Coruscant with the fleet. The Senate Oversight Committee is going to determine if your command should be permanently suspended. Today, like I said, we're talking about the penultimate and the finale episode. The first one is part seven, Dreams and Madness. Uh, so diving right in, the official description for this one is Hera must answer to the New Republic while far, far away, a reunion takes place. Uh, and I'm just going to say right off the bat, I think uh, we're going to probably spend the majority of the episode talking about the finale because... I know you're excited about that. Oh, yeah. See, and there's just I went on a whole fucking rabbit hole. And apparently a lot of other people did, too. I thought I was really smart. But I mean, look, (laughs) you don't Star Wars is it's all out there. It's not like it's some secret thing. It's just that, you know, we have this whole I always I always talk about the canon versus legends talk. And we're going to get into that today for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff that I had no idea about. And that's how all of this always is. I mean, we always talk about yeah. how we're not experts at Star Wars and we'll get stuff wrong all the time. Um, but I, one of my favorite things, and we could talk about like our overall feelings of this season of Ahsoka at the end, but like one of my favorite things about what this show did was just drawing out so much fucking lore. Like, it and was, rewriting it. And rewriting uh, and some of it. Of, I mean, that's the big shit we're going to see with Thrawn, right? Like we already saw that from the very yeah, we'll talk first about... part of Mandalorian and some other stuff. Like, that's what the movies did too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Ben Solo wasn't Ben Solo Benefin originally. Solo. You know, Han and Leia actually had twins. Um, from the Legends, original. yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. like, 
but we're not seeing a complete overhaul, right? We're still seeing very similar things happening. So, I, so it's again, we'll we'll talk more in detail about this at the end. But I do think that there's obviously Star Wars fans have thoughts about everything, mm-hmm. um, and there was a lot of thoughts about when Disney did the decanonization we'll call it of a lot of the legends material um but i think it was now that we're seeing kind of the trajectory of things i think it's ended up being kind of nice because it allows a more focused approach um which you know you can take or leave i think i think a lot of people would say that like the the movement of franchises towards these very like monolithic uh entities where corporations are running them everything like that you know Obviously, there's there's a lot of bad wrapped up in it, but I think in terms of what we're getting with some of the storytelling, it's allowing a lot of the the creators to pull in Legends material, right? Like, so what, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today, I think, is draw. It seems like it's heading towards a place where there's going to be Legends material that could be brought back to the forefront, which I think if you're a fan of that stuff, you should be happy about, right? Like, I think that's that's only a positive thing in my mind i think it's okay that it's being changed and i it's actually very clever even though i was very frustrated originally by it that it's called legends because as we've talked about before that means that there's creative license to change the way it actually ends up manifesting in the quote-unquote canon reality of the situation Mm -hmm. right like we all have our legends and we have our myths And that's the big thing about Star Wars is that they culturally change based on where you're learning them from and who you're learning them from. So it's the same thing, right? Like the legends might not have gotten everything, quote unquote, right in terms of realness of what we what we say is canon. But that doesn't mean it's wrong either. It's just interpretation. For sure. So it's kind of cool. And yeah, we'll talk more about it. But speaking of canon let's talk about the actual cast and crew for this first episode so again this is part seven dreams and madness the director of this episode was greta vasant patel she actually directed the co-directed i should say the film meet the patels that was a rom-com documentary that was directed by greta and her brother um and uh, her brother ravi and i believe ravi was like the central character of that documentary it sounds really fascinating uh but that was uh kind of i think her biggest known thing to kind of start off with. Um, but then she's also worked on uh, Sense8, which is a Lana and Lily Wachowski show uh, from Netflix, um, and has also directed episodes of such shows as Fresh Off the Boat, The Mindy Project, Superstore, House of the Dragons, The Great, and Santa Clarita Diet. Nice. I love The Great. <clears throat> yeah, I've heard The Great is great. Um, I Didn't it just get canceled or something recently? Oh, shit. Like it ended? I don't know. That sucks. I think it just ended. I know yeah. there was another season. I need to catch up on it, though. And then, of course, this one was written by Dave Filoni, as have been... Dave Filoni Pepperoni. All of these Show episodes. me the salami Peroni. I don't know. Go Keep going. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. In terms of cast, pretty much everyone that we have in this episode we've talked about before, but just some of the folks that we haven't talked about as much, I'll just bring back up. So Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma, Amanis Fondi as Ezra Bridger, and then we have the one and only Anthony Daniels, as C-3PO. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Who makes a guest appearance. Oh, it was so cute. Um, Hayden Christensen, of course, as Anakin Skywalker. Nelson Lee as Hamada uh, Ziano. 
Maurice Irvin as Ma Wood, Nick and Robinson as Vic Hawkins, West Chatham as Enoch, uh, Gerald, Gerald Prescott Galen as Actrapo, uh, sorry, I can't say the actual witch's names, Actrapal, Actrapal. This is one of the great mothers, Octopal. I don't um, know how to say it because we never hear Octopal, Clothal, so. and Lachesis, I believe, mm-hmm. is them. Uh, Claudia Back as Clothal, uh, Jane Edwina Seymour as Lachesis. And then uh, I don't think we've talked about him before. Uh, we also have Kurt Nelson. This was just a navigator droid, uh, pilot performance artist. Um, he's been a performance artist on uh, Mandalorian, Euphoria, Barbie, and Dahmer. Um, and then we have Peter Clark as this. I thought this was kind Dude, of fun. everybody's in Barbie. Everybody's in Barbie. Ahsoka. I mean, uh, young Ahsoka is in Barbie. Mm-hmm. We need to watch that shit. Uh, Peter Clark was the Ithorian Senator performance artist. Peter Clark is a puppeteer and like mechanical special effects person. So cool. um, he's worked on Mandalorian, Pacific Rim, Terminator Genesis, and then a bunch of Marvel stuff. And then we also have Don Dinager as Lieutenant Beta performance artist who we've talked about. That's the... Um, uh, when did, I almost said Betazoid. Uh, not Betazoid. Um, <laughs> Whoa, what? Calamari. Mon yeah. Calamari is in the episode. Nah, the Betazoids are basically what Calamari are to Star Wars. Yeah, sure. No. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> no correlation you're, you're the You're the expert that on is, that. That's wrong, but okay. <laughs> All right, but that's, that's the cast and crew. I think, like I said, we've talked about the majority of them before. Just want to give a quick recap, though. Jumping into the episode, uh, we kick things off with Hera's hearing. We simply cannot allow a general of the New Republic Security Forces to go around acting like this is still a rebellion. This is a government, and it has rules and laws which General Syndulla seems to have no problem bending to fit her personal agenda. My job is to protect the people of this Republic, and that is exactly what I was doing, in the best way I know how. I see, and you protected the New Republic by ignoring direct orders. No, I protected the New Republic by ignoring you. This is just so stupid. Yeah, yeah. Hera's essentially being court-martialed for taking actions that the Senate doesn't like. Come on, dude. Of course, Ziano is the main antagonist here, disbelieving the story about the Pergil Jedi, false Jedi, and distant galaxies, which I is just like... I still believe that he is... He's an M. He's a. He's gonna be come back, and he's gonna have helped Thrawn somehow. But like, I he's don't on the think. Inside. I don't think that's the case because he exists in Star Wars Resistance, and I don't think that's what his. I tried looking up. Whoops. I tried looking up his. Uh, I just knocked Cass's uh, their phone into the floor. Okay, I'm back. Um, I tried looking him. I tried looking him up. I did look up like a little bit about like his story arc in Resistance. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. I didn't seem like he's a, a sympathizer. It just seems like he's just a jerk. Um, Thrawn's converted people before. But jumping back in, I do think it's it's weird that he's like, I don't believe in this stuff, and it's like, dude, what are you talking are you about? Serious? Like this. Of course, this is like you know. We know this is real at this point. But it's like they feel like they're clinging on to the idea that like we have to have these underdogs. And they have to be, like, fought against. And it's like, dude, they're war heroes. Like, they literally have a mural on a planet because they've done such inspiring things. Like, we don't have to, like, not agree with them anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Out of principle. (laughs) Part of what I think it is, is that the, like, distance of the Jedi Order, I think there is probably, like, a, a little bit of, like, 
part of why the Republic fell is because the Jedi were like entrapped in this yeah. this war that was like you know these pawn. And anyway, there's yeah, a whole episode that. to talk about that kind of like dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I don't think he's like an evil dude. I think he's just a naive, frustrating Senate person. Hera, of course, is determined. Uh, she's very much Thrawn is returning. Like, that's her main thing. Like, we know this is true. We, as the viewer, know this is true. And Hera also knows this is true. Um, she also talks about there's a rising Imperial remnant. And that's a scary-ass proposition if Thrawn returns. Mm-hmm. Of course, before Hera is officially sentenced, we have a guest arrive. That's when 3PO's shiny metal ass rolls up and is ready to deliver a transcript on behalf of Leia. I just had a connection. Uh-oh. Sorry, this is totally just me, but having read the Ascendancy trilogy, um, I think that's what it's called. Am I, am I calling The original that? one is the Ascendancy trilogy, uh, yes. The Thrawn or Ascendant- not the original. Yes. Well, the, the first newest, one, yes. But it takes place in, yes. Yes. So a very similar thing happens with Thrawn. Every single time he tells his people that there is a threat outstanding to them, especially one from a far-flung galaxy that they don't even like believe um even possibly exist Mm. they don't believe him and it's a very similar thing happening here with Hera it's like everyone knows that Thrawn is and that's the other thing is that like it's not just um this guy I mean Ziano yeah Ziano is like the only one on the council that really doesn't seem to like Hera everybody else hates him they're like, uh, I don't know about that. I you don't really get a good read, and I don't think that Mon Mothma is I think that Mon Moth- convinced, like of of Hera. She's willing to listen. Though. She's willing to and listen. She kind of roll. She's kind of she kind of tells him at some point to be like, okay, stand down, bitch. Like she says that. Not she doesn't say well, that. But, but so continuing on, basically, and we can jump back to what you were talking about the connection with Hera. Three so PO delivers this th- this message from Leia, who's kind of the lead of the Defense Council at this point, uh, which says like. Pardon the intrusion, but identification. I do not need to show you identification. I am C. 3PO. Welcome. But why are you here? Honored Chancellor, with respect, I am here on behalf of Senator Leia Organa. May I speak? By all means. Thank you. The Honorable Senator Organa has become aware of an unfortunate situation and wishes to present this data transcript, which she hopes may resolve the matter. I object in the strongest terms. Thank you. As I was about to say, the transcript shows that Senator Organa personally sanctioned General Syndulla's reconnaissance mission to CETOS, being regrettably unaware that Senator Ziono had held a vote against such a mission without her. This is preposterous. The court cannot admit evidence of this kind from a mere droid. Yes, well, Senator Organa is willing to overlook this misstep, but asks that you address any further concerns to her directly in her role as leader of the Defense Council. And despite Ziana's protests uh, and his insult of accepting testimony from a mere droid, which is a funny moment where Chop is like, <laughs> what the f- 
fuck you talking about? He said, what the fuck you say? And like, he literally said, the fuck you say? Tava like, his arms around. Tava like holds him back. Like, it's very funny. Um, we about to fight up in this court. It, the, it, like, basically she's able to get, like, she doesn't get charged. But the scene ends with Mom Moth, like, being like, I know that she didn't approve that mission. Um, <laughs> But you she know. doesn't bring it up. She doesn't say it during the trial. No, she the does. She, she no, I meant after. Yeah, like. you're right. Um, but she does say that to her. Like, yeah. like I'm just kind of like, I know she didn't approve this. But then asks, like, how real is this threat? To which Hera mm-hmm. says, like, we need to prepare for the worst kind of situation. Sorry, this might seem really far flung. I just thought of, like, a very distinct pair. I mean, this is, like, a common trope, I feel like. There's always, like, yeah. you know, like I said, a hero that's done a lot. And no, it's kind of like a cry wolf. Like, they're like, is this really something we need to worry about? And it's like, are you fucking idiots? Even if it's not something you should worry about, can't you just, like, give in to the possibility? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what's the problem with, like, if there isn't a war going on, then what's the problem with, like, funding this assignment if we're not fighting a war right now or we're trying to prevent one from happening and so I mean, that's a similar thing in ascendancy there's a really awesome character i cannot think of his name right now but he is there's different there's the chis have like two different staple societies right mm-hmm. they have like this arist it's called the aristocra and then they also have and i can't think of it right now but oh, it's, it's the so more funny. martial type of um group of people right what i realized now when i was reading that book i kept reading it as aristocra Instead of Arist, like, in my head I was saying it, but then as soon as I said the word out loud, it came out that way. So yeah. I don't know. I think <laughs> it's Aristocra, but I think it's yeah. That makes the most sense. Yeah. not Aristocra or whatever. Yeah. I was th- but the Aristocra <laughs> do not like Thrawn. They they don't like that he's like a farm boy, like that he was adopted into this family, um, and given so much praise, and so they're always constantly finding the ways to try to shoot him down. And so it's kind of like a similar. Yeah, it's kind of just a- cool to see that. Um, Especially because there are so many, like, I don't know, this this episode and the next episode when I go into a lot of the lore just shows how much of a fanboy Dave Filoni is for the Legends stuff oh, and the new canon stuff. Of course, yeah. And he's really trying to weave a picture and really trying to, like, create, like, a, like a peace treaty between people who really love the Legends and people who grew up with it. It's kind of the same way we have the issue with people who love the original series but are not fans of the new one it's like how do you merge those two things and dave filoni i feel like is constantly doing that like yeah he's so fucking good at that he did it with clone wars and now he's doing it with these this tv series so well and i think he has a lot to work with too right like oh, he, yeah. i think he was set up for like a good amount of success and, and obviously a lot of that is because of himself right like a, <laughs> how they set up rebels and everything like that which he was that yeah. was his show. Sorry, long tangent. I just no, was like that's a, that's a realizing cool... this thought as I was saying. I mean, it. that's a trope. Like you said, that is a trope that happens a lot, right? Of like this hero, this soldier who like does something very heroic, but like is flawed in some way mm-hmm. because they had a connection like to someone, um, and so there's like distrust, right? Like mm-hmm. of like just kind of not crying wolf, but it's like well, you of course you think everything is going to be a huge threat because you were a big part of this battle. Mm-hmm. Whereas like from the other side of things, the Senate's like, well, we got to keep this shit going like, I mean, we gotta keep this place Anakin too, together right? you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah um so it's it, it is very interesting I, overall i thought this was a fun scene but it was mostly inconsequential yeah um unless we you know in season two if we get a season two you know there's like callbacks to this or something sure. i don't know but overall i was just kind of like eh, you know it was fun it was fun 
Moving right along, um, we the next kind of scene is inside the Galactic Whale Cruiser. <laughs> uh, that needs to be a vacation spot. Um, we basically cut to Ahsoka and Hiang inside of the Jedi ship, inside of the Pergel, heading to uh, Peridia. And Ahsoka's practicing maneuvers that, to me, felt very reminiscent of her training in Tales of the Jedi. And I'd actually be... I didn't... I didn't. I could have done a little bit more digging for this, but I'd be interested to know if like this scene was filming at the same time that like Tales of the Jedi was in production or like being ri- like. I'm wondering how those things line up because it felt so similar to the episode of Tales of the Jedi where Ahsoka is basically prepared for what she'll have to do to survive Order sixty six. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought this hologram was the same recording. It's not. It's, it's these so, are recordings that he made when Ahsoka was gone. So Ahsoka's, which is really fucking heartbreaking and beautiful and sad. So he made. I don't know if he made these recordings when she was gone. I think he made these recordings throughout their training, mm-hmm. right? Because the outfit that he's wearing in this recording that we oh, yes, see right, yeah. is actually really reminiscent of the outfit he wears in Tales of the Jedi. Yes. So I think it's around the same time potentially, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, he has this message, right? So he says to her... In this war, you will face more than just droids. General Grievous, Asajj Ventress, even Count Dooku. You could face any one of them on the battlefield. As your master... It's my responsibility to prepare you. So practice these forms often. Or at least more than I do. I won't always be there and look out for you. If we get separated or something happens, you need to be able to make it on your own. Don't be afraid. Just remember what I taught you and trust your instincts. I know you can do this, Ahsoka. So, Hu Yang comes in and is like, um... He was a good master. <laughs> well, Ahsoka says that. Ahsoka says, like, he no, was... No, Hu Yang a... says that, too. He says he sounds like he was a good master because yeah. he has all these recordings. But, yeah, we find out, I guess, there's a total of 21 of these recordings, which is kind of cool. Um, she says that he has made 20 other ones, and this was the last one that he made. So it is possible that, like, I can't... Don't know when to place. But the fact that, that Anakin has made, time but... to do this, given the fact that he is also being puppeteered by Palpatine at this point, is like just shows how much like again, everyone always says it's a flaw, but the fact that he loves her and it's his little sister and he yeah. wants to keep her alive. And well, it's... we can at least say that this would have been before Dooku died, right? Because he says like you could he face lied. Count Dooku, yeah. mm-hmm. like you know, in this recording. So if this was the last one, it would have been like prior to the events of, uh, you know, um, episode three. I also episode. love his little smirk. It's very good. It's very, oh. very, very well done. Uh, and I mean, I think for me, like this scene personally, like helped me to. We talked about this on our last episode, right? Of like how it's been a struggle for me to really there's a lot of um forgiving of anakin right there's a lot of forgiving like you know the person or or at least like making him this like heroic 
figure, but like totally separated from Darth Vader. But like, I think to be fair, he is separate from Darth Vader in a lot of ways, and especially for Ahsoka, because she didn't know what he was to become. She didn't know him as Darth Vader, except for like the two times that she encountered him. Yeah. Um, You know, I know that she like internalizes a lot of like what he did become. Um, And I think that there is in this scene, there is this like hesitation from her where I think that she wonders if she got her message. So we talked about, you know, at the end of the Clone Wars, was she preparing to return to the Jedi Order? Part of me wonders if she still internalizes, like if I were able to get him this message, would he have like stopped going to the dark side? Um, because just the way like she seems very emotional, like listening to this and then calls him a good master. I, all I'm saying is like this scene like helped me. I like get it. I get where she's coming from. I understand her motivations and I understand like what, what she feels about Anakin divorced from Darth Vader. A this, little is, bit. this is a whole other conversation and I'm not going to get into it because we have a lot of other stuff to talk about, but we've talked about this before, but, and then you kind of argued against me from what I recall. I was saying something about... Sounds like me. Yeah, well, no, listen. I was thinking about how I was saying a while ago, especially when we were going over Ahsoka's, like, last episodes before we started watching this series, about how I felt like she was one of the main reasons that could have... She was one of the people that could have kept Anakin on the side of light. And that is the whole reason... Like, when she leaves, that's just another one of the puzzle pieces that falls into place that probably doesn't help Anakin out yeah. because he me- he loses one of the last people that really believes in him. And what sucks is that, you know, Obi is there, but Obi is still so much more ingrained in the council that he has a hard time, like consolidating that, you know, um, not saying she's the only reason I'm just saying that it might've been much more difficult for him to make that conversion if she had been around more, but it is not her fault that he did what he did. Oh, I, I totally agree with, with that sentence. So, like, there, I, I, I don't think that that's... But I can see why she feels guilty because she was gone and then she comes back and he's no longer there, yeah. you know? And so a... it's this, oh my God, did I have something to do with this? And yes, part of that is, but it's not her fault. Like she didn't do anything. She definitely has an amount of like survivor's guilt, like from yes. this, like she was able to escape the Jedi Order and escape you know, order 66 and escape what Anakin became all at the same time. Like, I think she does like, yeah, of course, like her leaving was just like another like brick to fall. If anything, it was one less thing that the emperor had to like overcome Mm -hmm. that said, how much did the emperor have like his paws and like making sure that she left the order? Like, you know what I mean? We talked about that too. And another one, once again, tying this into Dave Filoni's ability to like marry these two like separate entities of Star Wars sometimes in terms of fans and like interests. We always talked about how the Clone Wars sort of interjected more purpose into why Anakin became Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. That, Thousand percent. that is lacking in the prequels, which makes them harder to digest sometimes yeah. because they're just so ingrained in this political stuff that's happening that gets a little muddy. And you're like, okay, well, why is Anakin becoming Darth Vader because of politics? That doesn't make sense. And it's also not just because his his wife had kids and then he's all like tore up about, you know, her death or whatever. It's not just that. If there's a whole other entity. It's not just him losing it's his wife, but his brother, his order. sister. The Jedi Order has taken everyone from him. 
So yeah. Dave Filoni made Ahsoka and made more of a reason for Anakin to have become Darth Vader. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I don't disagree with that. I think the, the the sentiment that I disagree with that I think a lot of people fall into of is like kind of the victim blaming of Ahsoka. Yes. Like she is as much a victim of what Darth Vader becomes as anybody else is. Like it's she has the autonomy to make the choice that she does and has every right to make the choice that she does. Um you know, so I think that's where I usually draw the line of like, yes, was her leaving the Jedi Order a reason that Anakin fell? Of course. Was it her fault? No. no. Like, those she are- left because of that first thing. Yeah. She left because the Jedi Order fell, which is inherently why Anakin started to change. Right. So. Um, anyway, lots, lots to yeah, yeah, deconstruct yeah. Mm-hmm. there. But um, jumping back into the episode. um. Huyang notes that they're coming towards to the end of their journey. The star whales are like slowing down. That's how he's able to tell. And then when they exit hyperspace, they realize they've landed right into a fucking like minefield that Thrawn set up. Yeah. Um, of course. They exit the Pergil's mouth and the Pergil are basically like, <laughs> there's actually a really funny moment where Huyang's like, well, the Pergil will provide good uh, cover for and us. They and then they start getting exploded. No, they don't. Well, they do. But then they just like, they jump into hyperspace. Yeah, they go, bye. They're like, fuck this. We ain't dying here anymore, sucker. <laughs> And then that's when we get kind of Thrawn's Zajarik. I love that you named um, that. I was I I momentarily forgot what that word meant and then remembered it was the chess game because I Googled yeah. it. And I was like, ugh, oh, so good. So as Ahsoka and Hiang are dealing with jumping out of hyperspace into a minefield, we cut to Thrawn who is basically he's in uh his like that citadel thing where the chimera is like sitting on top of it. Yeah. Um and he walks to this terminal. Enoch appears in this hologram-like appearance. And I wasn't sure if it was Night Sister magic that was, like, making him project. Because it was, like, very... It wasn't a normal hologram. I think it, it very, probably was. Because they probably... Yeah. With holograms, if you think for, like, space science, they probably need some type of satellite. True. You know what I mean? True, and they true, haven't, true. like, set up Wi-Fi yeah. on this planet yet. But so. I just thought that effect was cool. Like, yeah. he's very, like, grainy, like, as he's, like, it sitting there. Um and he tells Thrawn that they, you know, that they triggered the minefield just like he knew. And Thrawn's like, I know. I know I was right. I knew mm-hmm. I was going to be right. Like, yep. um, so because live, like, um, and he also gets more information on Ahsoka in this moment, um, which is the Inquisitor database. And that's when he learns that Ahsoka is Anakin's Padawan. Now, I know there's a lot of discussion about this because in the book, there is a moment where Padme actually reveals uh, I forget which book it is. It's uh, Alliances. It's, yes. So in Alliances, there's a moment where Padme, one of them, it might not be that it's one, Padme. but it's, um, says it's either that one or it's the or it's it's Thrawn. I can't remember yeah. which one it is. Who basically like says like, oh, you know, Anakin has a, a apprentice, Ahsoka Tano, or whatever, and so 
technically Lawn Thrawn. He might not just put two and two together though. Yeah, like Ahsoka just fucking forgot. Could like, have been a name of some other person. Like he's been through a lot at this point. Like yeah. and also it's not that big of a deal. It's not. It, it's one of it's like a minor a minor detail. The but good thing is though, I feel like canonically we still register that he knows who Anakin well, is. Well, there is a right? bigger moment in the last episode yes. and I'm sure you have this of like people Nope, I forgot. The internet that. being like like this doesn't feel like Thrawn, but we'll talk about it. Like, okay. When we get there. Okay. I do Anyway, he kind of like jumping back in. He looks at I keep saying jumping back in. <laughs> uh we're not Sorry, I keep pulling us out. No, 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 no. It's keep force pulling us in the this jump. Is the whole, this is the whole thing. Hold on, let me take my hoodie off. Ooh, I'm getting sweaty. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> he, once he in. once he learns that Ahsoka once he learns that Ahsoka is Anakin's Padawan, he's like, Okay, pull our dudes back. Like, we're not we're not doing this shit. Um, <laughs> we're gonna like fight this on our own terms, which is like very, very smart, obviously. Um Elspeth is like, why? If they go they go into this they're going to get lost. Like if we don't pursue them and he's like, we're just going to waste resources. Like there's zero, we're not going to get her like, let her go hide. And then we'll find her. Like when she reemerges, like we need to do this on our, our turf kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and I really like that. A lot. <laughs> I was thinking about this as I was like doing the outline. And I was like, I really like that the Thrawn versus Ahsoka stuff is just Dave Filoni playing chess with himself. Yes. Like it really is. It's just like, Oh, she's going to hide. And then Thrawn's gonna like do this maneuver, and then Ahsoka's gonna do this, and like it's just it's very fun. It's like so good. I mean, that's any creative thing, yes. but it, it very much is just like because Thrawn is so like strategy focused that mm-hmm. it just kind of stood out to me. And then we get a very fun moment. Um, so I mentioned this previously, but Ahsoka does take cover in like this fucking badass like pergill graveyard that just surrounds the planet um that said that we kind of jump ahead to sabine and ezra's reunion um and beanie and ezra just kind of travel together <laughs> i saw beanie and on your thing and i was like who the fuck is beanie, beanie. and then sabine. i realized yeah sabine beanie uh beanie and ezra travel together and kind of just catches up with each other right so about how much I've missed. I'm still trying to process everything you told me. The Empire was defeated. Battle of Endor. The Emperor died. That's what people say. There's a new Republic, Zeb's training recruits, and Hera's commanding fleet. I missed everything. It's been a while. Uh, Sabine tells him about the Battle of Endor, uh, talks about the Emperor presumably being dead, saying that's what they say. Um, Zeb training recruits, although we don't get any mention of Zeb's husband, which is disappointing. Um, I need them to... That's my favorite ship right now. We need to do a ship episode where we talk about our favorite ships. I'm down. Like... I can't think of his name right now. But so there's like the... Um, Harrison called him Blondie Mutton Chops. Oh, Blondie I was going to say like Thrawn's dis- like Star Destroyer ships, what? the ghost. Oh, shut the fuck up. No. <laughs> um, anyway, we need Zeb and his husband in the next season for sure. Um, but yeah, so they're kind of reminiscing about that. They also reminisce about 
uh, and I liked this Sabine training with the dark saber. So like Ooh, that was tough. Sabine isn't the first like Sabine and Ahsoka. This isn't Sabine's first rodeo of like training to be a Jedi in Rebels. She trains with the dark saber a bit, although I don't think it's ever really established that she's training to be a Jedi, but she is training as a Jedi. Your eyes got really big. I'm very ADHD right now, like ex- like excessively for some reason. I don't know if it's because I ate so late. And this timeline might be wrong, so you might just want to delete this whole part. But like, what if Sabine trains Omega? Omega at this point would be like probably... Well, I'm trying to think. I don't have like her... I mean, her. she basically is bo- like six... Or no, not six. Like 12 when order 66 happens and so this is like what 30 years later 30 ish le- okay so she's she like, like 42 40. okay never mind well i mean sabine is like in her late 30s and ahsoka's yeah. in her 40s like <laughs> it doesn't add up but that wouldn't that be fun like a jedi because we have din Djarin training a jedi mandalorian essentially yeah. from the opposite way one that is a jedi first and then becomes a mandalorian and so wouldn't that be oh wouldn't that even be fun sabine and baby and grogu like somehow like I mean, listen, we're going to get a Jedi Order stuff coming up. So who knows what's going to happen? Anyway. Um, But yeah, meanwhile, while Huyang and Ahsoka are hiding in the dead debris field, they're trying to locate uh, Sabine. And this is a really fun moment where Huyang isn't able to do it. And Ahsoka is like, I'm just going to reach out through the force Mm -hmm. Um, and is actually able to connect with her. And I really like that they did that because I think we've talked a lot about Sabine being just a different type of Jedi, a different a slow learner. type of force wielder. I like that like they were able to still give her like aspects of what we would consider like the traditional uses of the force. And we have another moment later on too, but we like there is a moment and I can't remember if it's in this episode or in the I think it's in the next episode where Ahsoka's like it's not just like wielding a lightsaber. Yes, she does. I've got you know? that on my notes. So it's like it is cool that like there is this connection to like kind of prior to Honestly, that. Honestly, Sabine's trajectory reminds me a lot of Luke. He's an older Jedi user. Mm-hmm. He has knows nothing of the Force really, um, and he Obi Wan is very similar in his older age. I feel like he's wisened up a lot, like Ahsoka. Yeah, um, they even have the same training with the. I mean, they all train with like the little droids or whatever, like the little ball guys. But like. I don't know. There's very much like, you know, the whole blind fighting training stuff like mm-hmm. and she gets frustrated very easily the way he does. And he's more of a techie than, you know, so. Yeah, but Luke's like really fucking whiny. That's true. Unlike Sabine. I want to go to Tashi Station for some power converters. <laughs> um, the, the, I, while so again, they're able to locate Sabine and and. As soon as she does, she's like, I know where to go. That's also the moment when the Night Sisters are able to locate them hiding. They open fire. They're able to escape. Uh, they open fire being Thrawn and mm-hmm. Enoch. Uh, and then they being able to escape. So uh, I keep saying Sabine. Ahsoka and Huyang. Um, and they head straight for where Sabine's location is is um of course thrawn counts on this so he tells enoch to ready the ground forces um and ezra and sabine are also like way the fuck out there like he mentions like they're really far away so like it works for us if she goes there anyway um because 
again, at the end of the day, they're loading up the ship and the Eye of Scion is like the last ticket out of yes. there, right? And so everything that Thrawn can do to delay while they're finishing up the shit they need to do is like a victory, yes. right? And he talks about that later he on He knows too. exactly what he's doing. At the same moment, the wolves pursue. So mm-hmm. Shin and Skull uh, locate Sabine and Ezra and Skull basically tells Hadi that he's got other business to attend to. <laughs> Contact Throne. Kill Sabine Wren and Ezra Bridger. Then take your place in the coming Empire. You won't help? Your ambition drives you in one direction. My path lies in another. I've located Ezra Bridger. Sending his coordinates now. One parting lesson, Shin. Impatience for victory will guarantee defeat. And I think that's an important thing that we see at the end of this episode when she just kind of does her like nope and gets the fuck out of there. (laughs) So trajectory wise, following these apprenticeships and masterships, um, you know how Ahsoka is always drawn. There's always a connection drawn to Ahsoka through Asajj. I'm seeing now this connection of Shin and Sabine Mm -hmm. and their connection to their masters. Um, but again, it's not the Padawan walking away from the master at this point. It is the master walking away from the Padawan. Yeah. And yeah, she looks kind of afraid. She's like, what What do you mean? Where are you going? She looks hurt. If, um, I think, yeah, I think there's that. I also think there's a moment of realization. I think she's n- probably known for a while that like this is coming. It seems, yeah, I don't think he's told her that, but she has this kind of like, as soon as he tells her like... T- contact Thrawn she does yep she's the one who contacts Thrawn Mm -hmm. um and also Skull leaving fucks up Thrawn's plan later on because they're all like what the fuck Thrawn (laughs) is very like calculated in like the amount of ships he's sending the amount of men that's there and he's like counting on Balin being there to help turn the tide again Balin said when we were back on the other planet uh when they were back in the regular galaxy he said um it's Thrawn's war, not mine. He yeah. had that intention all along. Um, mm-hmm. So, very interesting. Yeah. So, from here... And I'll talk about what that Ooh. is. So, from here, um, I, I, there's just a lot of action, but there's some really cool moments. I'm not going to dive into every single thing, but essentially, Hottie's Red Bandits engage the caravan, and then there's a ton of action here. Um, one cool thing that I do want to mention is uh, the Nodi actually fight back with slingshots, which... Ezra Bridger. They're also just throwing shit. In throwing shit, yeah. <laughs> Ezra Bridger, uh, one of his first weapons, or maybe it was his first weapon, was an energy slingshot yeah. in Rebels. So I do think it's really funny that he just like taught them like really ineffective ways to battle because that's just the person that he is. Because <laughs> so uh, he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, and as we'll see do, later like, on. And they, they circle up in their little beetle formation. Yeah. Also, we didn't talk about this. I love a creature whose house looks like it. Yes. And that's exactly what these fuckers yes. do. Like, they, they live in houses that just look like them. Yes. Like It's just so fucking funny. Could you imagine? if humans lived in houses that looked like us we do giant flesh prisons we do what do you mean your your uh, our house house doesn't look like a body (laughs) it's just giant titties Uh, 
Not that I have giant titties, so it doesn't look like me. I love that that would be the, like, that would be what looks All like All of us, our house looks like giant asses. titties. Yeah, giant titties. Um, um, Ahsoka and Hugh Yang arrive and on the scene, and Ahsoka jumps out of the fucking ship, as she's wont to do. Every time. Every time. While Hu Yang uh, basically tries to lose their pursuers. Here, Ahsoka has her second encounter with Skull, and uh, he says to her, well, now this is a surprise. Um, and Ahsoka asks if he's disappointed, and surprisingly, he says no. And I was listening back to this, and the way he says no wasn't just like, I'm a villain. Like, I'm just going to say, like, no, it's good to have a fight again. It really felt like he was like... Like, almost kind of like, no, like, I, there is a part of him that is glad to see her. So, um, very interesting stuff. Part of me wonders, thinking forward ahead, so in the finale episode, Shin is stranded Mm -hmm. along with Sabine and Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he realizes that's going to happen. And so one of the reasons he's like, oh, I am glad you're here because I know you're going to get fucking stranded here and Shin's going to have someone. I don't know. Aww. Just I hope, kind of. I, 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 I like that. That is a optimistic view of him, even though I think he is a fucking chaos. Yeah. Chaos organ. Um, and I love him. Chaos he's organ. He's very fucking twisted. He reminds me a lot of Dooku mm-hmm. in that he is a very solid ass Jedi, but his viewpoint is wild. Yeah. So. Very interesting. Um, Anyway, they engage, and then Hati and her bandits uh, are able to encircle Sabine and Ezra. There's some very fun. There's a very fun moment here when Sabine tries to give Ezra his lightsaber back, and they argue back and forth. What's the plan? There, do your thing. What thing? It's your lightsaber. Take it. You keep it. What? I don't need it. Besides, you've been training. Very funny. No, I'm serious. Take it. I gave it to you. It's yours now. At least take a blaster. No. The Force is my ally. That's all I need. Well, I'm gonna need more than that. Um, he's like, I don't need it. You keep it. Um, and he refuses a blaster uh, as well. She's like, well, at least take a blaster. Um, <laughs> but he says, uh, the Force is my ally. That's all I need. Dude, the Force push as Ezra is phenomenal this it's is good. the episode right mm-hmm. where he's just force pushing everywhere i oh, yeah. love it. it feels like when you're in a video game and like you literally did lose your like all of your ammo's gone so you're just like meleeing the whole time it's great no i love this moment i think there it's equal parts it's equal parts ezra like yeah have not having had like a lightsaber not having been able to practice with it he and also ezra. oh it's equal parts him just wanting to fucking show off yeah like i yes! a thousand percent Remember, think he's he like had a crush on sabine so long time look ago. how cute i am now but i also like he's very cocky just kind of like no i don't need anything i don't i don't need it uh and i do love sabine's kind of like realism of just being like well i fucking do like yeah, come on it's a fucking lightsaber um, are you kidding me but it is very fun. Um, it was but so, also such I was going to say fight. his uh, his quote: "The force is my ally; it's all I need." That's obviously a uh, uh, callback to the for- the quote from uh, I am Empire. The force and the forces with me. Well, that. But uh, Empire Strikes Back when Yoda is training Luke. Yoda literally says, "Like the force is my ally, and a strong ally mm-hmm. it is." And so it's like literally almost word for word. Ezra's kind changed. of become a Yoda. He's like a hermit on another planet. But it did remind me of, uh, and you called it out too, uh, Chirrut Imwe from Rogue One, who fights without a lightsaber as well. Yeah. Um, who is really cool. He wasn't. A, I don't think he was specifically. I don't think he was a Jedi, but he has was like a Force wielder. Is he the like, blind one? Mm-hmm. Oh, he was 
was so badass. Another, another, yeah, blind, blind. Ronin Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Dave Filoni putting all these influences that I love back in my shit. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, he does manage to hold his own, though, at least until Shin arrives and she kind of knocks him out pretty, pretty briefly. Yeah. Um, but there is a really cool moment where he's like using the force to hold her lightsaber back. And uh, yeah, I just love him fighting without a lightsaber. Um, there so, this is just an aside, but there was so much discourse online of so two things one of him being like no no no, you keep my lightsaber and people being like what is with disney star wars like wanting people to give up their lightsabers and it's like y'all just it's cool she's it's, been training with it it's dope shit really that's why time, like why why do people complain about the dumbest shit like it's even fun it's that. a fun dumb story like calm down are they talking it, about obi-wan giving up his lightsabers like what are they even talking about i think it was uh I don't even. I don't even remember. I don't even. Whatever. Care. Let's but not talk dumb. about it. It's stupid. Uh, oh, it's Luke in in uh, in when he uh, in Last Jedi or yeah, Last Jedi when uh, Ray gives him the lightsaber and he just like throw, tosses it. It's like what is with Disney? That doesn't happen to... all the time. That literally happened once. Also, it's fun. Yeah. Like shut up. <laughs> like, um, and it's also it fits in with Ezra's. Again, we're learning the Jedi aren't about lightsabers. It fits in totally with Ezra's capability or his, his not his capabilities, his personality. Yeah, because that's what he would do. He'd be like, "No, no, I'm a, I'm a badass. I could do this. Like, I don't need a lightsaber. I'm a badass bitch, and I don't need no lightsaber." Um, we cut back to Ahsoka and Skull, and Skull tells Ahsoka, "You can't defeat me." But before their fight concludes, Yang shows up and blows some shit up, and Ahsoka is able to leave. And she's basically like, "I don't think I need to defeat you anyway." Like. Um, also, I think it's a lie. I think she could defeat him. Like, I don't... Uh, absolutely, and she can and will. Um, but there is, uh, this moment of hesitation when Ahsoka leaves. He kind of, like, hesitates on whether he's gonna follow after her or continue down his path. Um, and then we are, like, careening towards the conclusion of this episode. Troops land and circle Ezra, uh, and Sabine, and we get another classic Ezra moment here where, uh, he's, like don't kill us take us as prisoners like very very classic ezra um and they open fire um and then eventually ezra does end up with a blaster which i think is very funny yes um and then ahsoka shows up just in time to help sabine and ezra who like i said in spite of saying he doesn't need anything does end up with a blaster uh soka kicks the shit out of shin uh and we get some fucking badass blaster plus lightsaber action with sabine she really beats her the fuck all the time she does it's very funny um but God, do I love a Jedi using a fucking lightsaber and blaster at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit. I hope they keep doing that. So good. They Sabine. will. Absolutely. Thrawn, who, like I said, calculated the battle would be a narrow victory, but didn't count on Skull abandoning their effort, calls off the gunships and then troops and announces that uh, these were acceptable losses. And if anything, it was kind of a victory because, like I said, they had Ahsoka and team waste a shit ton of time and Mm -hmm. they're basically ready to take off. Um, And in the end, the heroes are reunited. Um, We get a really great reunion with Ahsoka, um, Sabine, and Ezra. So sweet. It's very cool. Ahsoka even laughs. Like, it's something that Ezra says, and it's really sweet. She just laughs at his face. Yeah. Like, she's I think, like, oh, my God, look at you and your scrag, scraggly your muffin It's just ass. pure, like, you know, it's just joy. pure joy. Yeah. You know? It's so. a great reunion. But that's where that episode ends. All right. Well, I'm going to pick it right up where that one left off, because this one does the same thing.
Grand Admiral. The cargo transfer is complete. Good. Very good indeed. Bring the Eye of Cyan out of high orbit so that we may begin the interlocking procedure. Comscan believes they have a fix on the Jedi shuttle's location. Dispatch two TIE fighters if they find their mark. Tell them to engage. There is little the Jedi can do to stop us now. I've watched many an Imperial officer make the same assumptions about the Rebellion. Even I fell victim to the heroics of a single Jedi. Never again. So this one is episode eight or part eight and of course once we find out what the episode name is we all kind of me tommy uh our friend harrison came over to watch the finale and this fucking episode is called the jedi the witch and the warlord which is so dumb but it's <laughs> hey i don't think it's dumb. it's cute it's silly it's well, fun I think a lot of the episodes are calling to other things like we had yes, the, yeah, yeah a lot of Mc- literature but yeah. so it's fine it's just funny that it's uh and narnia c.s C. lewis is i think and Narnia is like, Narnia, the world between very worlds dark is too. very... That's very true. Okay, okay, fine. It's great. Yeah. Anyway, the official description for this one is the hero's race to prevent Grand Admiral Thrawn's escape, uh, which is exactly what happens. Just like you said, he has basically proven that um, he can get them to waste a lot of time so that he can do what he needs to do. And that's exactly what happens. Um, as far as the cast and crew goes for this, um, there are no new people. Uh, we do see uh, Nikan Robinson again, who's the first officer, Vic Hawkins. I just wanted to point him out one more time. Um, he's in Heist 88, 13 Reasons Why, and Thunder Road. The director for this one, though, I'm going to point out is Rick Femiyiwa. Uh, he also directed Dope, multiple episodes of Mandalorian, and actually at the recent um, Star Wars celebration, was told uh, we were told that he's going to be the exact producer and director of the third season of Mandalorian. So Wait. We've already had the third season. Oh, that already happened. Yeah, that's what he did, too. (laughs) I can't remember what fucking season of Mandalorian we're on because of Boba Fett and, like, everything happening at once. Sorry. I went back in time. Um, So, yes, he did multiple episodes of Mandalorian season two and season three. Uh, And then, of course, this was written by Dave Filoni. So, we... Literally begin in this the fortress on Paradia with Thrawn, where we find out that they've finally transferred all that cargo that we still don't really know what it is, but I have tons of ideas now um, about what that is. Really excited. Captain Enoch informs Thrawn that they have a lock on Ahsoka who's still hiding out in the graveyard over the planet. Mm-hmm. So they're in that whale graveyard. Um, Morgan comments that there's not much the Jedi can do to stop them at this point, but Thrawn tells her not to underestimate the Jedi. Um, and he also says that he's fallen victim to the heroics of a single Jedi before. So hence Ezra, obviously, mm-hmm. who sent him to a other, whole other fucking galaxy. Yeah. And not even like a, not even like a, I mean, he was a, what do they call them? Um, a Bo- Boken. He's Boken a Boken Jedi. Jedi you know? exactly. So he's not even like fully trained yep. and his ass like got, got a shit God handed, handed to him. To him. Um, the sisters approach Morgan at this point, who has kind of been mostly just like a sounding board for Thrawn's like intelligence. She hasn't really done much at this point. She's Morgan much, Elspeth. yeah, she's mm-hmm. much more like quiet than she was at the beginning of the season, and also much more like just like there. 
But the sisters actually give her a gift. Oh my God, this moment was so Holy fucking Holy fuck. Cool. So they ask her, they say, are you ready to denounce yourself? She who heard our dreams across the stars, come forward. You shall be rewarded. The gift of shadows. Are you prepared? Yes, great mother. Do you pledge yourself to the sisterhood, to the magics, to the old ways? I do. Do you abandon your old life for this new one? I do. Your loyalty? Your life? My loyalty. My life. And they imbue her with Night Sister magic, and she gets these great like markings. Her whole eyes turn black, like the Night Sisters mm-hmm. or the Night Mothers. And then they forge out of the magics the Blade of Talzin, which we've actually seen before in Clone yeah. Wars. So obviously, Talzin, Mother Talzin, once once again is a Night Mother that is on Dathomir, has mm-hmm. a very similar setup as the Knights mother which is here very similar setup similar setup she's got her rgb light yeah exactly her Her fan yeah her her fan her leds like underneath the keyboard of her blade anyway (laughs) she um is darth maul's mother which i always like to point out um and she also wielded this blade that was hers that she created during the clone wars to duel mace windu there was that two-part episode in Clone Wars season six where it was called the disappeared part one and two where there was this um cult called uh the Frangwal cult that worshiped this demon called the Malmorai which is actually the face that's on her sword so I can't recall but I think she might have gotten this sword originally from then 
and then used it to fight Windu. And th- this was the episode that had all the shenanigans with Jar Jar Binks and Mace Windu, like the two most random ass characters partnering up to go into that cave or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that that's where that came from. That's where we see it in live action for the first time. But uh, yeah, it's like this Icker sword. And I kept yeah. joking that she's a hex blade because she oh, has yeah. a green flame blade, like a warlock in, in D&D. It was dope. All, all I can say is like, we've said it before. We'll say it again. They need to continue. Like, just give us a Night Sister TV series. That'd be so fucking cool. I think we're going to get a lot with the Night Sister still. Yeah. I, that is definitely not over yet. So meanwhile... Speaking of forging weapons, Ezra is building himself a new lightsaber mm-hmm. on the ship. And while Hu Yang does not like the methods that he is taking, he's just pulling shit out of all of his drawers. And Ezra's like, this is a mess in here. And Hu Yang's like, no, it's very organized. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, he's actually impressed with the fact that Ezra makes his lightsaber quite mm-hmm. efficiently. And he ends up giving him a copy of... Um, the blade emitter, like a spare blade emitter, that is the same as the one that his master Kanan had, which Hu Yang knows as Caleb, Caleb. June. But what's so? Uh, I love this moment. I also love there's there's a line that Hu Yang says uh, where, <laughs> as he says, like this is not something you can rush through haphazardly. Stop that! Everything in here is organized. Yeah, disorganized. I have a system. So do I. You, sir, have a method. Not a system or anything resembling a process. You have a... What does he say? It's like, you have a method, and I, I have to look it up and like put it in here. Uh, but he says something like, you don't have a, a plan, you have a strat. It's something very like... Yeah. He says something very funny, um, He's but it was also very poignant, I think, towards like Ezra's character. Like, you don't have a plan, you have a... Uh, method or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, Which makes sense cool. because Ezra was never trained to forge a lightsaber the way the Padawans are trained, the way that Hu Yang has taught them for yeah. centuries. And Hu Yang would have, it's kind of interesting now. I, this is kind of the moment, I think, to me where it feels like, okay, uh, Ezra is graduating to be a Jedi Knight at this point. Like yes. he hasn't officially, but like now that he's like, I don't know. He's working like with someone. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. But like he's building his. I can see that. Yeah. He's building his lightsaber with the person who's like built the lightsabers for all of the Jedi younglings for years. So. I agree. Um, We get a little more insight in this part too about um, Sabine and Ahsoka's kind of Padawan master relationship. Sabine kind of like, you know, once Kanan's talking to Hu Yang, she kind of walks off a little bit and goes outside and, um, we find we find out here that Ahsoka was apparently worried she was training to be a Jedi for the wrong reasons. This is what Hu Yang tells Ezra. Um, since during the Great Purge of Mandalore, her entire family and people were destroyed. So Ahsoka was at first hesitant to train Sabine or was worried about her in the beginning of her training because of the fact that she had lost so much. Mm-hmm. And she's seen how that has hurt people. Right. So she was worried, but they're fine. In fact, Sabine comes outside and Ahsoka talks to her. Never thought I'd see him again. You might not have, had you chosen differently. Sorry. I know. You're not mad? Over the years, I've made my share of difficult choices. Often no one understood my reasons, except my master, Anakin. 
always stood by me. Even when no one else did. That's why, no matter what happens next, I'm going to be there for you. Even though Sabine is, like, apologizing for the fact that she made this deal with Balin and, like, went off, Ahsoka doesn't, isn't mad at her. She says she totally understands the reason she did the things that she did. And Ahsoka even relents and says, you know, you know what, like, I've got to give it to you. I've got to trust you more. My master was the only one that ever trusted me. And even when I had things going on, like, he still, like, fought for me. So I need well, to do that more for you. She says, like, he, like he stood by me like no matter what and and, mm-hmm. and that's true i think uh, yeah absolutely and and she basically is like i'm gonna stand by you mm-hmm. too like i love that yeah it's great it comes it comes full circle meanwhile while they kind of have this downtime thrawn has um engaged these tie fighters to attack them Hugh yang ends up going off and flying the ship and they're having to like save the little noti buddies so all the all the no it's actually really sad a lot of them die some of them dying it's shot down but Ezra, um, Sabine, and Ahsoka use the Force to stop them for the most part. Though, again, this is part of Thrawn's strategy of slowing them down, just throwing some Mm -hmm. people at them. And then Thrawn orders Enoch to prepare a ground assault. Of course, the goal is to ground the Jedi so that they can make their escape, so that they're completely stranded on this planet. So the three leave Hu Yang to repair the ship and help the Noti recover, while they decide to kind of meet this ground assault at the actual fortress where the ship is taking off. So that's where they start to go. Morgan assures Thrawn that the troopers have also been made aware of the blessing that the Night Sisters have given them. And this is where we see oh, what yeah. I thought was part of it the whole time, but I just didn't realize that it hadn't really happened yet. I kind of like had thought about it before the fact. I thought they were dead already. Um, however, what we find out is when they get to the temple, they start shooting all these night troopers that are kind of assaulting them. And there's a moment, of course, of like silence where all of them are dead. The night sisters start chanting and then all of the troopers fucking come back with the green zombie juice and they get up. Never happened before. No, this is new. Lucky us. And it's cool. They're like real, like OG zombies. Like they're slow moving and walking and shambling. And at first, it's kind of funny because it's like they're just a horde. They're just totally walking, and every time they fall, they get right back up. And you know, obviously, Sabine, Ezra, and Ahsoka are like highly trained, so they're able to like keep them off. But they are just overwhelmed by the sheer fact that they continue to assault them. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 
impo- it's a, impossible to defeat or nearly impossible to defeat enemy. Yes. It doesn't matter like how slow moving and like e- like easy they are to defend. Like you're as a human being or as a be- like person, you're mm-hmm. gonna run out of steam at some point. So it is terrifying. It's like that. It's an, the inevitability of it. Yeah, right? it what- goes into. It reminds me of the original like slow walking like. Oh yeah, Night of the Living Dead sort of stuff, which is awesome. Cho- uh, Ezra actually ends up getting choked out by one of them. One of them comes up behind him and starts choking him, but Sabine like impales him with her lightsaber so that he can get out, which is awesome. Is this the lightsaber through the head moment? Or is no, that later? that's okay. later. So well, I was going to also say too. We talked about it briefly, but like the this is drawn directly from the book, the Death Troopers book, which is like a horror set in like Star yeah. Wars with like these undead. So fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we even get to see their faces like rotting and like they're like immediately rotted, which is really cool. Which is weird because they they literally just died. But, you know, whatever. Unless they die before. Like I said, maybe they were already dead. But I don't know. They don't talk when they're dead. They might have been reanimated the entire time. But the the knights, the great mothers are just like, okay, well, these are the ones we're going to just like give this blessing to keep reanimated. Yeah, exactly. We don't know. So anyway, um. However, even though they are staving off the Jedi, um, the three of them end up having to, like, hold themselves up and, like, they're force pushing, like, stone down to, like, stop the guys from attacking them. Thrawn moves to Morgan and basically says, we still need more time and you need to stay behind. And so she has this realization and Thrawn says that she needs to do it for the Empire. When he turns around, she mutters for Dathomir, which is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And so she steals herself to for the might of Dathomir to keep these Jedi from getting on the ship. Um, and we get this dope ass battle. Yes. Between- so basically they get to the top of the fortress and this is where it all kind of like comes crashing together. Mo- uh, Ahsoka and Morgan end up fighting again, which is awesome. Um, Lauren Kim was in Osanto's stunt double in the Mandalorian. Oh yeah. Um, though I don't know if, I don't think she had a stunt double in this. Um, but all of the fighting is just so good. It's very cool. It, there's a lot of taken from, I was looking at different like um, Chinese fighting styles. There's so many different ones and so many different iterations, but I love the fact that she like touches the blade and like holds it to like defend against Ahsoka. It's, a, um, it's so it, good. Yeah. I, it, it, it very much was reminiscent of like that type of like fighting. And I, I love that too of like, I, there, I don't know what it's called, but, like, the holding the blade, mm-hmm. like, it's just... Uh, it's so, so badass. Cool. Yeah. Also, when I was looking at the different, like, references and stuff, it also occurred to me that Morgan Le Fay is another, like, witch. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know that, obviously, from King Arthur, but now it makes more sense that her name is Morgan, because we do know now, of course, that she is a witch. She's a witch. So, um, basically, they all... All of this culminates, like I said, they're at the top of the fortress and Chimera's about to take off. Yeah, Sabine um, and Ezra, like, leave Ahsoka. Ahsoka's like, leave me They're a this. little ahead of them. They don't leave entirely yet, though. The night troopers are still coming after them. Sabine actually gets pinned to the pillar by one of the night troopers, oh, and this yeah. is the part that you were talking about. We see her in a very Luke-like, you know, a- being attacked by the, uh, I can't think of the name right now, the Yeti in the cave. Um, where he has to grab his lightsaber in order to save himself. And she does the same exact thing. So she pulls her lightsaber up and stabs him through the fucking head. Yeah. It's so fucking awesome. Um, and then Ezra and Sabine prepare to force jump, do the force jump push pull thing. Uh, you can't make that jump. Yes, you can. I appreciate the confidence. No, I push you first and you pull me across. Sabine. 
Ezra. I can do this. I was I, when we were watching it. I was like, "Oh yeah, oh. this was Maul that did it." But no, actually, in so basically, they had to make this huge jump, yeah. right? And in before in in Star Wars Rebels, but there's a moment where in Twilight of the Apprentice, where to get to the holocron they're trying to get to, Ezra's like, "We need I just I'll jump and you force push me. Like mm-hmm. we can't reach it like any other way." And he says, like, my master and I do it all the time. So Kanan is actually uh, the but one But Maul who, does do it. It's Maul just does that he's it. not the one that originated it. But yeah. I think this is awesome, though, because it's like, it's like the two, like, they both have trained under Kanan at some various different points. And they're both able to, like, draw from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Ezra's very much, like, not certain about it <laughs> at first. But uh, Sabine's so like, like, yeah, do it. It's good. Just do it. Yeah. But it is this like moment where it's like, that's how the force like works sometimes of like in the moment when you need it is when you're able to like call on it. Yep. Like, and of course there's a fake out. Like he kind of is dangling, but you know, he gets his ass up there and we think that Sabine's going to follow him, but actually she doesn't. She does not abandon her master. She goes back and she fights alongside Ahsoka and kind of reinvigorates her for the final, final like act of this fight where Ahsoka fucking slashes Morgan Elspeth across the chest and kills her and slays her. And the Night Sisters immediately know that she has died. And Thrawn is kind of like, oh shit, we got to get the fuck out of here, which they do. The the great mothers are on board the Chimera with Thrawn. So they actually take off. Ezra is on board. He has, Mm -hmm. as he is wont to do, disguised himself as a stormtrooper, which he does a lot. Um, and this is kind of where we get this culmination of this end scene that has all the different players in their different positions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to speak about each one, and then I'm going to talk about all this crazy shit that I learned and have notes yeah. about. So, first of all, Ahsoka and Sabine are stranded, and they go back to hang out with the Noti, and they don't seem pretty bummed about it. They seem pretty relieved, um, you know? They're kind of in a hard moment right now because, like, this, they, yes, this horrible thing is about to happen on another planet, but they're so far away. Um, but they have brought Ezra back, mm-hmm. and they're happy about that. And Ahsoka, while they're standing there, looking over the Noti and their tribe, sees a Mirai, a Morai, mm-hmm. which the is owl. the owl yeah. that represented. Well, I don't know if it's a Morai. Morai is the owl. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, they're... But it, they see an they owl. They have a different name for it, but But it Morai, looks like it's Morai. Like. Yes. So this is the owl that was symbolic of the sister and mm-hmm. what the sister would turn into. But I just wanted to note that, that yep. she sees this. Um, the very quick summary of that episode that we talked, the Mortis Gods, is that they are these very powerful ancient force entities. And as far as we are aware, it is the father, the son, and the daughter, mm-hmm. which we see on many... 
Um, we've seen in murals at Jedi temples. Um, they are a story that is told and known. And Anakin, Ahsoka, and Obi-Wan actually visited the planet of Mortis when the father actually kind of like had a distress call out to them, right? And brought them to the planet. Yeah, he like, they didn't visit like intentionally. They didn't no. even find it. They don't even know where it they, is. They felt Anakin and brought him to the planet for a reason to restore the balance because what we find out is that they it is a cycle of the, the sister and brother fighting over and over again, mm-hmm. the light and the dark. And the sister is represented by this owl and the brother who actually looks a lot like a Dathomirin, um, is represented by this like bat creature, right? Mm-hmm. And Ahsoka during that entire fight, which we've already talked about in an episode, um, was killed by the Mortis blade. And the sister sacrificed her life essence and basically is a part of Ahsoka now. Mm-hmm. So if anybody is anything like the daughter or has any of the daughter's essence, it's Ahsoka. Right. She's kind of connected to her now. Meanwhile, Shin arrives on the edge of the bandit encampment. And we just see her kind of like ignite her lightsaber. Don't know what that's about. Is she about to pull a young Anakin and slaughter all of them? Or is she going to join them? We have no idea. I think she, I think she might be the warlord in like the mm. title sequence of like, cause she, she raises like a it, bandit. She raises it in such a way that's like, cause they look to her too. And like, she raises mm-hmm. it in such a way that's almost kind of like heralding, like heralding. That's what them. I thought too. Yeah. yeah. Balin, meanwhile, this motherfucker is atop the statue Atop, we see three statues. One of them is completely crumbled. And it is very obvious, once you look at images, that this is the father and the son. And the daughter statue has been destroyed, which Mm -hmm. makes sense because she's dead. Um, We don't know how that actually happened with the statue, but that's just my, like, symbolic meaning, right? Is that she's been destroyed. Um, So that's interesting. I'm going to get back to that in a second. And then the Thrawn and the Mothers are actually going to Dathomir. They don't even go to another planet first. Approaching Dathomir, we're in Admiral. And then we see the coffins again. And so my thoughts is if they're going to go to Dathomir with these coffins, they're trying to restore the Night Sisters. Thrawn's made some promise to the Night Mothers that he was going to bring them back to the fold, bring them back to Dathomir, another very important ancient like site for their people. I think these, I think that Thrawn told them they were she was he was going to bring them back to their home world and that they were going to agree to give him some army mm-hmm. for his overtaking for, of the the, for the empire and i think it's either going to be maybe a mix of both but i'm really hoping that we're going to get some resurrected night sisters some night sister warriors or and or some night brothers which would be fucking dope an army of like zabrax yeah Oh, God, that'd be so fucking cool. Well, and I, I'm i very interested, like, how all of this plays together with, like, the timeline. Of... Oh, I've got it. I've got it. Listen to me, baby. I oh, think I know. okay. Okay, okay. The mm-hmm. fall, Jedi Fallen Order and stuff like that? Oh, no, not that. Oh. Sorry. 
That's You're what like, I was okay, wondering. okay, no, yeah, no. That's what I was wondering about was like how that plays into the timeline of like where that's kind of taking place with like Cal Kestis and you know because at various points he's on Dathomir and um yeah it's just I'm curious what's to come. Also, the thing that I was talking about that um people were talking about with Thrawn was like out of character for him was when he said long live the empire to hmm. more. I think he's, yeah, he says it to Morgan Elspeth right before he leaves and people are like Thrawn's whole, and you talked about this briefly, or maybe it wasn't on the podcast, but we talked about it. I think about like Thrawn's motivations, his motivation isn't for the empire. It's for the Chiss. Maybe that's what he meant. Maybe he just didn't say ascendancy, but that's what he meant to say. Well, and my thing is, so people were like, that's so out of character. He has, to play the role of like yeah you can't say what he, he wants can't to say. say like long live the chit like you know what i mean that it's like oh wait your legion your allegiance isn't because you were talking about i think how uh anakin or darth vader rather calls his allegiance into question right Absolutely. in the book series of like constantly who are you doing this truly doing this for yeah. kind of thing and he never outright lies to vader because he knows that vader would know that if he's lying but he says that Palpatine also knows yeah. as well because the first time Palpatine meets Thrawn, he's like, why would I want to al- ally myself with you? And Thrawn says, I have an entire planet that could become an allied to your disposal um, and we could have a mutual kind of connection. Mm-hmm. So Thrawn had never, never said that he wasn't loyal to his people. He has always said yeah. that. But I think that the idea, people saying like him saying long live the empire was out of character. But I don't think it. He couldn't say anything else. Well, what else would he say? Yeah, exactly. You know? Like he, he does have to restore. Long live the ascendancy. And then it's like, what the fuck? What's happening? He has to restore, no matter what, his like first goal has to be restoring the empire. Yep. Like he's smart. Like he knows, he knows what he has to do. Exactly. Because he was using the empire to his advantage the whole time. Yeah. So if the empire's gone, how is he supposed to do anything? Right? He's mm-hmm. getting his pawns in place. So, all of this is what we see at the end here. And I started taking rapid notes and started really trying to puzzle piece together the connection between the Mortis gods, Balin, and legends. And what we know about the Mortis gods and legends. And what we know about the Mortis gods and also the heir to the Empire before like the original the, book the legends of heir to the empire and this is where i started to draw and i wasn't the only one there's tons of other people even though, though i thought it was really smart at first to draw all these connections <laughs> between these because i i'll say this i read heir to the empire in like middle school i don't remember any of it but there are parts of it that kind of refresh my memory and i realized once again feloni's doing this thing where he is picking things out of what he loved in Mm -hmm. legends and recreating it and revitalizing it and it's not the exact same thing but if we are to think that he's following the same trajectory then i think it serves to stand that he might be doing that with the next um series or the or the movie so this is what i got y'all Balin kept insisting when they landed on this planet that there was something more about this planet than the Night Sisters were even aware of. But they were fleeing something. There was something powerful here, potentially, that even the Night Sisters were afraid of. And he is constantly saying throughout this entire time that that's what he is drawn to, right? Mm-hmm. So he also has discussed that his removal from like the Jedi was the fact that he realized that this cycle keeps happening between the fight between the light and the dark, and it is never ending. And he says that a couple times too. Well, 
well, who, who else is also trapped in a cycle of light and dark? The sister and the brother. They've been, they've been fighting for centuries before. The daughter and the son. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. There's the daughter sister and, and the, brother. But yes. Yeah. The daughter and the son have been stuck in this cycle as well. Until, they, until one of them died. Precisely. Yeah. So keep that in mind because that's something that happened like relatively recently, right? Okay. So let me get back where I was in my notes. I think Balin is trying to break that cycle by summoning the Abeloth. The Abeloth was originally the servant. She was the servant to the, the son and the daughter and the father. The whole story between the, the daughter and the son is that the daughter bathed in the um, pool of knowledge and the son drank from the font of power. And that is how they got their powers, right? Well, the servant was originally keeping peace between the daughter and the son, but then in order to keep up with him, in order to keep this cycle from continuing or to keep them at balance, she decided she needed more power for herself. So she drank from the font of power and bathed in the pool of knowledge. So she did both. Mm. She combined those, but she was not able to withstand the transformation. And she became this chaotic, like crazily powerful entity, potentially the most powerful force entity ever to exist. The father actually fled with the son and daughter and enlisted another species called the Killick to trap her on the planet. And in various different stories and legends and legends within Star Wars, um, she's like in different places. She's like trapped in different places. Mm. So it, to me, it makes sense that if this were to happen and we have these statues of the son, the daughter and the father, that it's possible that this is one of those ancient places that she in this you know, canon in this story, this is where she was trapped. This is where she was imprisoned. Um, Paradia is a planet of stories and myth. Balin is obviously well-versed in myths and stories. He talks about them in every single fucking episode. It would stand to reason that the legends and myths we have now are being made manifest. And he is following the stories that he has, you know, come to adore to be like, okay, I want to finally stop the cycle of light and dark. I'm going to summon the one creature that can break this cycle. And it's the Aboleth. Um, Again, Filoni loves to bring that, that which was once canon back into the fold and new it in exciting ways. Um, like I said, she got out a few times in the Legends, apparently. Aboleth would get out in a few times. But the cycle kept persisting where the son and the daughter would put her back in the prison. However, they're not able to do that. Right. If the daughter's dead, which is what's happened. If Ahsoka has the daughter's essence, my thought is that what's going to end up happening is that Ahsoka is going to be the one that is going to have to put the Aboleth back because she is the missing piece at this point, right? That's mm-hmm. why we get this this motif of the son and the the son and the father and then this disintegrated statue. She is the missing piece. And that's why we see the we see Morai at the end of that one episode. There's definitely they're definitely gunning for something there, right? In the original canon books, the Heir to the Empire books, um, we were talking about Thrawn. Um, Han and Leia have a son called... Link with me now here for a second because I'm going to go on a long little tangent. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm linked. They have <laughs> twins um, who are only kids during the Heir to the Empire. But their one kid, Jason Solo, who 
turns to the dark side, much like Ben that we have now, mm-hmm. right? Not the same character, but still much of the same stuff happens. Um, he was the one that released the Aboleth in the original. Oh, shit. So we have a figure that turned to the dark side that decided that they wanted to stop the cycle. And they, he didn't do it on purpose, but he did. And the Aboleth was like the motherish kind of She became figure, the mother right? figure. She was originally the servant, and then they started to call her the mother. Okay. And um, Mortis is actually where they fled to after they, um, after she like happened, after she gained her power. So even the father knows that he cannot control her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Jason becomes Darth Lord Cadus, and he un- unintentionally awakes her. So this is just from the lore. When Jason Solo fell to the dark side in 40 ABY and became the Sith Lord Darth Vadis in an attempt to change the vision of the future, where the Sith ruled over the throne of balance and his daughter, Alana, he unintentionally awoke the Abeloth. She began to escape from her prison with the destruction of Centerpoint Station, which is where they, in the lore, imprisoned her. Mm-hmm. Um... The Abeloth was discovered and hunted down by Luke Skywalker and his son, Ben Skywalker, as well as the Lost Tribe of the Sith. So, Luke Skywalker and Ben Skywalker joined together with the fucking Sith to fight this Abeloth because they realized that both light and dark have to come together to stop this creature. Interesting. And so now I'm thinking, what if Ahsoka... And the crew, or maybe the crew... So we have Ahsoka trying to, like, stop the Aboleth, right? And Balin on this one planet. And then Thrawn is taking this entire army back. This army Dark. that is very similar to Sith. This night sister, night brother army. What if they find out that they actually have to join forces with that army to stop the Aboleth? Because Thrawn's bringing this giant power, but he doesn't realize... That his whole intention is going to be taken to shit when a literal apocalypse is coming for them. Like a force apocalypse, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my thought. That's the, Those are some thoughts that I have. Also in Legends, just to note, um, both the Jedi and Sith constantly fought the Aboleth and even destroyed some of her avatars. Um, ultimately, the Aboleth at some point takes the form of an actual senator and gets herself elected to the Galactic Alliance. <laughs> she like becomes like okay. a... Yeah, which is just kind of crazy. Um Oh, despite her death, Luke and the Jedi were not convinced the Abeloth was dead for good and thus began searching for the planet Mortis because they thought that's maybe where she fled to. Um, Luke intended to locate and obtain the same dagger used to kill the ones decades earlier during his father's encounter with them to ensure that if Abeloth ever returned, the Jedi would have a way to kill her permanently. Ahsoka was killed with the dagger of Mortis, mm-hmm. but that might be the only weapon that could actually kill the Abeloth. If the Aboleth is coming. Yes. And what's interesting about this whole thing with Luke, like following in his father's footsteps and going to the Mortis planet and trying to kill the Aboleth, um, he did so. He got the idea to do so um, through this thing they called Beyond Shadows, which is this thing, which is this place where the Jedi like have this unconscious like arena where they can see force ghost which is literally just the world between oh yeah well and also that makes sense that like shadow warrior is the name of the episode where uh i believe that's the episode where ahsoka fights in the Mm -hmm. world between worlds so i think this is the world between worlds has already become kind of dave filoni's beyond shadow world yeah so it's kind of like ahsoka's following the same thing that luke did interesting i really feel like 
that was a really long shot of information, but I hope you can see where a lot of these things kind of convert to what we're seeing happening well, in this show. And the fact that we're getting an heir to the Empire movie that I think is going to follow the events of this show. Yeah, so right as of right... It feels like we're kind of culminating into a recreation of that original book series that follows a lot of the same things that happened with the Abolith and with Luke and with... Um, Jason and you know these forces having to come together to stop this thing that like is ultimately beyond good and evil which is what we also see with Ahsoka not being part of the order and all that kind of stuff so well I wouldn't be I mean I think first of all that's a ton sorry no that's that's all it's all fun I like this is so the, the thing I wanted to get to the most is just like overall our thoughts on the the <laughs> series and no the reason why i like the series is because it seems like it's given like exactly what i have wanted which is like this possibility engine like it's given us like this lore heavy heavy thing that is just that like has all these connection points that like some of them may not end up being anything it I hope it, it may end up being, like, too ambitious of a project to do all of this. I think it's just this. showing the stuff that, like, Filoni was inspired by in the original. Yeah. And he's trying to pay homage to it without wiping it off entirely, you know? Yeah. Well, I do think, like, we, we're going to have to have something with the the father, the son, and the daughter. Like, it, it they, they wouldn't show the statues of those no. beings if, like, there Very wasn't, like, obviously. a thing. Um, the, the one thing I was going to mention is that, so, in terms of Heir to the Empire... Um, there's no date for that film as of right now, and I don't know when they're going to start like production with it. A lot with a lot of the strike stuff that's been going on, like it might be a while, and plans may change. There's no official season two for the show either, but there's been some kind of hints as to there might be a season two of this coming. Um, overall, though, like, what were your thoughts on like the show as a whole? Like, I love it. I and I and I love it for that exact reason that I love the fact that Dave Filoni continues to marry canon and legends together mm-hmm. and create something that is not too um that is rewarding for people that love the lore and love reading the lore and just love the stories and especially what he's made in Clone Wars but isn't detrimental to your enjoyment. Yeah. And I just I loved it. It was probably my favorite live action thing so far. Yeah, I think so. same here. I, I it, it there wasn't a I will say too like the the other thing is like and we did this every time we watched an episode. We weren't like rating them or like saying like, you know, but like there was a moment where it was like every single episode it was like I thought that was better than the last one. I thought that was better than the yeah, last one. Yeah, it just kept and then improving. There were even, like, I will say the penultimate episode was felt like a little lackluster compared to some of the other ones, but it was still good. Like, yeah. there wasn't a bad episode, in my opinion, of this show, Agreed. which is, is phenomenal. I will say I am disappointed that we didn't get, like, full closure on something, but I get it. Like, I get, like, they, much like a lot of Star Wars stuff, it's leaving room for like what's to come next um, for good or bad, like however you feel about that. But I do wish there was a little more closure. The other thing I wanted to just mention, the last thing, um, and this is just, you know, a side detail, but I, after the final episode aired, I was just like up at night, like looking up just because we like we went on a tangent like really quickly and this is when you started like looking up like the abolith stuff and like we were like talking all this stuff i like like was up for like an hour like reading just like stuff about like skull and hati like in norse Uh. mythology (laughs) um which we talked about them before as like the wolf that chases the sun and the wolf that chases the moon the one thing i don't think we ever talked about was like the so when they 
catch their prey, it's essentially Ragnarok, like in Norse mythology. When the sun and the moon so the are the caught, again. it's the end of the world. Yep. Um, makes sense with the Abeloth thing, too, if that's what he's bringing. He's bringing that to exactly. the world. Exactly. Um, and I just, I, I think, like, that has to, like, they're not named that for no specific reason, right? Like He's very specific. Yes. Um, I also think the other thing, I didn't really put this together until recently, of, like, Perdia sounding a whole hell of a lot like perdition, mm. um, which I don't 100% know what perdition necessarily is. I know that is a, um, it's, it's basically, like, I, I think another name for, like, eternal damnation or like hell kind of thing so if you think about like you know and maybe that's just kind of like the name of like you know they're eternally damned because like they're in another galaxy kind of shit but Mm -hmm. like it it is interesting that like that is like a name that you know has at least that connotation for me i don't know if that's real but overall i i'm with you i just wanted to get those details out i don't know why they're stuck in my brain um overall i'm like 100 percent with you in that like the show like i this is my favorite live action so far yes I, there is, like, the added bias of, like, Ahsoka being my favorite character and also Sabine possibly being, like... I mean, Sabine is one of my favorite characters now. Like, she's so good. And they I did... love that we got Shin Hati out of it, too. And Shin Hati and Balin Skull. Like, Ugh. both new characters were great. I, the other thing I was going to say is, like, they did such a good job of, like, translating all the characters into live action. Absolutely. Like, Sabine and Ezra, like... Ezra was my favorite by far. They fucking they just, killed it. Yeah. Like, they They're really did great. such a good job making sure that they were both approachable as characters for new individuals, but also felt like they're original characters. Like so many times Sabine just had the energy of Sabine in Rebels. Like, and Ezra, like as soon as he's on screen, is just like, yep, that's Ezra. Like it just makes fucking sense. Mm-hmm. So um, I think this was an absolute joy <laughs> like to watch. And, you know, it's not without faults, of course. And I know that if we do get a season two or get into um heir to the empire there's gonna be some murky bits and like I some won't stuff be disappointed if none of this comes to fruition yeah. i just think that dave filoni is really good at being a fanboy of his own thing um <laughs> but also of what every everybody else has already done too and i think it's part of him honoring and respecting what's happened and putting his own spin on it yeah um and he is he is very much hitting the nail on the head when it comes to like words and wordplay so i feel like some of this is somehow going to come up and it's going to be great. He he does like what I love with like writers and, and shit like that, where they're like, there's very obvious like metaphors some of the times, but then some stuff is like, oh, I, if I dig a little deeper, I understand this. And like, sometimes it's like, you know, very surface level. But I also think that, you know, some of it is deeper too. Like, I think there is some like deeper stuff that's at play here. Like you get the kind of like very easy to grasp, grasp onto concepts, but then we got like a lot, had a lot of shit to talk about from in terms of like the relationships of the characters and, and shit mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I love it. Yeah. It's so fucking good. I cannot wait. Oh, I think I'm probably going to end up rereading the original Heir to the Empire so yeah. I can kind of like see what those connections are, even though all the names are, and things are different. Like, there's still a lot that's very familiar, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Gracie, she agrees. That's and with our that, cue. 
I think that's our cue to end. That's the end of the, today's episode, I guess. I don't even know how to end anymore. Um, we are at Distant Echoes SW on Twitter and Instagram, or you can find us each individually. Tommy, where are you located in this galaxy? I am at Awkward Comma on Twitter and on Blue Sky, and I'm also on Instagram as well. Awesome. And I am at Cassie Thulu, which I actually, no, I think I changed it to, Ca- nope, I didn't. It's still Cassie Thulu. I might change it to Cass Thulu. I haven't decided yet. Anyway, um, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And please, if you like what we're doing, you know, find us and rate and subscribe and comment and review. Um, and please remember, we are a proud member of the Glitterjaw Podcast Collective. If you're looking for other queer media podcasts, check out the full roster. There's stuff being added all the damn time. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Shout out to a new podcast to the roster, which is Are You My Mother? Which, the, uh, as of the recording of this, one episode is out. Um, and it was on Darlene in the show The Connors. And I listened voraciously to that episode it was very very good i'm very Heck excited yeah. about it and i know there's some really cool stuff coming up in Hell that show yeah. as well so tune in next time when we also get stuck in a galaxy far far away for a long long time We're never getting out of here oh, i don't goodbye, know what we'll go out on a whale goodbye, <laughs> goodbye.